Exoneration occurs when the conviction for a crime is reversed, either through demonstration of innocence, a flaw in the conviction, or otherwise. Attempts to exonerate convicts are particularly controversial in death penalty cases, especially where new evidence is put forth after the execution has taken place. The transitive verb, to exonerate can also mean to informally absolve one from blame. The term exoneration also is used in criminal law to indicate a surety bail bond has been satisfied, completed, and exonerated. The judge orders the bond exonerated, the clerk of court time stamps the original bail bond power and indicates exoneration as the judicial order. Based on DNA evidence. DNA evidence is a relatively new instrument of exoneration. The first convicted defendant from a United States prison to be released on account of DNA testing was David Vasquez, who had been convicted of homicide, in 1989. Recently, DNA evidence has been used to exonerate a number of persons either on death row or serving lengthy prison sentences. As of October 2003, the number of states authorizing convicts to request DNA testing on their behalf, since 1999, has increased from 2 to 30. Access to DNA testing varies greatly by degree. Post-conviction tests can be difficult to acquire. Organizations like the Innocence Project and Centurion are particularly concerned with the exoneration of those who have been convicted based on weak or faulty evidence, regardless of DNA evidence. As of October 2003, prosecutors of criminal cases must approve the defendant's request for DNA testing in certain cases. Monday, April 23, 2007, Jerry Miller became the 200th person in the United States exonerated through the use of DNA evidence. There is a national campaign in support of the formation of state innocence commissions, statewide entities that identify causes of wrongful convictions and develop state reforms that can improve the criminal justice system. As of December 2018, 362 people in the U.S. had been exonerated based on DNA tests. In nearly half of these cases, faulty forensics contributed to the original conviction. Per February 4, 2014 NPR article, Laura Sullivan cited Samuel Gross, a University of Michigan law professor stating that exonerations were on the rise, and not just because of DNA evidence. Only one-fifth of the exonerations last year relied on newly tested DNA, a little less than a third of exonerations occurred due to further investigation by law enforcement agencies. According to a 2020 study, DNA exonerations in rape cases strongly suggest that the wrongful conviction rate is significantly higher among black convicts than white convicts. Exonerees after exoneration. Wrongful conviction has many social, economic, and psychological consequences for people later exonerated, especially for death row exonerees. After exoneration, some exonerees publicly have joined or formed organizations like Witness to Innocence and the Innocence Project to tell their stories as a form of advocacy against the death penalty, prison conditions, or other criminal justice issues. Habitual Offender a habitual offender, repeat offender, or career criminal is a person convicted of a crime who was previously convicted of crimes. Various states and jurisdictions may have laws targeting habitual offenders, and specifically providing for enhanced or exemplary punishments or other sanctions. They are designed to counter criminal recidivism by physical incapacitation via imprisonment. The nature, scope, and type of habitual offender statutes vary, but generally they apply when a person has been convicted twice for various crimes. Some codes may differentiate between classes of crimes, for example, some codes only deal with violent crime, and the length of time between convictions. Usually, the sentence is greatly enhanced, 
In some circumstances, it may be substantially more than the maximum sentence for the crime. Habitual offender laws may provide for mandatory sentencing, in which a minimum sentence must be imposed, or may allow judicial discretion in allowing the court to determine a proper sentence. In specific jurisdictions, United States. In the United States, several state governments have passed laws which require the state courts to hand down mandatory and extended sentences to habitual offenders, for example, making the repeated commission of the same misdemeanor a felony. Three strikes laws specifically target those who have been convicted of a serious criminal offense on three or more separate occasions. Criticism. There has been various criticism of habitual offender laws. Some examples are included below. Unjust and unusual results. Habitual offender laws, depending on their scope and discretionary room given to judges, can lead to persons being punished quite severely for relatively minor offenses. The discretionary nature of the laws means that they can be applied unevenly. In Australia, laws relating to dangerous and habitual offenders have been criticized as ignoring the principle of certainty in sentencing. Another major concern in Australia is the considerable disparity that exists in the requirements for dangerous offender status and in the available sentences for such offenders across jurisdictions. Age and offense requirements, indeterminate or fixed sentencing provisions, and review procedures are quite different from state to state, these inconsistencies have been removed to some extent in the past decade. Some unusual scenarios have arisen, particularly in California and the United States, the state punishes shoplifting and similar crimes involving over $500 in property as felony petty theft if the person who committed the crime has a prior conviction for any form of theft, including robbery or burglary. As a result, some defendants have been given sentences of 25 years to life in prison for such crimes at shoplifting golf clubs, Gary Ewing, previous strikes for burglary and robbery with a knife, nine videotapes, Leandro Andrade, 50 years to life for two counts of shoplifting or, along with a violent assault, a slice of pepperoni pizza from a group of children, Jerry Dwayne Williams, four previous nonviolent felonies, sentence later reduced to six years on appeal, some have even been sentenced to life without parole for nonviolent crimes, Alice Marie Johnson, and Alvin Kennard. Undue prosecutorial leverage. Habitual offender laws also give prosecutors more power to force a defendant to plea bargain, as often the only deviation from a mandatory minimum sentence is with prosecutor approval. Compatibility with fundamental rights. The laws have been challenged on the basis of violating fundamental rights. In the U.S. on March 5, 2003, the U.S. Supreme Court held by a 5-4 majority that such sentences do not violate the Eighth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. Canada. In Canada, the Habitual Offender Act in Canada dealt with multiple offenders. The law was repealed after a Law Commission report of 1969 found it to be erratically applied and was often used against nonviolent and non-dangerous offenders. In 1977, Part 24 of the Criminal Code was enacted for habitual offenders, providing for indeterminate or determinate sentences for offenders found to be dangerous who would be eligible for parole after three years and has the authority to extend such indeterminate non-parole period at any time.